Jesus' name, we thank the Lord for the good presence of the Lord that we feel in this place. How many love the presence of the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. There's just something about it. When you come into the presence of God, it changes everything. It changes a bad day into a good day. Amen. It can change your perspective. It can change the way you think about somebody or something you're going through. So it's good to be in the presence of the Lord. And uh, we're glad that you are here tonight. I want to turn your attention to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We are going to uh, be dealing with the matter of the fruit of the Spirit. So good to see Brother Steve Kovach here tonight. God bless him. All the way up from North Carolina. And, uh, and, and, and we're in March, but we're at the very beginning of it. And hopefully we're at the very end of winter. Somebody said amen. But we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, and of course verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we're talking tonight about the fruit of the Spirit. We have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit for the last several weeks. We've covered the matter of love. We've covered the matter of joy. We've covered the matter of peace. We've covered the matter of long-suffering. And tonight we're going to talk about the matter of gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. Gentleness. Now I want to... I want to tell you that these next few uh, fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be uh, covering are somewhat similar. Some of them are somewhat similar to each other, to the other. Uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Meekness and temperance and gentleness uh, are all very similar one to the other. And, and yet there are some... Uh, variations that cause them to be distinct in and of themselves. And so we're going to be talking about uh, those and talk particularly tonight about gentleness. Um, I want to be clear that when I talk to you tonight about gentleness, my goal, and I believe the goal of the Lord, the goal of the Holy Ghost, is not to somehow convince you to start being nicer to people. Now, it wouldn't hurt if you would start being nicer to people. But that's not the goal of what we're talking about when we talk about gentleness. The gentleness that we're describing is a, it is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. And so the goal is to help us to position ourselves and to, and to let the leading of the Holy Spirit help us to, be, to get into a position where we are able to allow gentleness to grow inside of us. So that gentleness becomes a result and not a goal. A result, not a goal. When we start trying to be gentle as a goal, it becomes a, a work of the flesh, a, a well-intentioned work of the flesh, but nonetheless a work of the flesh. So many times it can, be, it can become plastic, it can become hypocritical, it can become fake. Fake gentleness doesn't have any power to it. It's the difference between a, a real fruit and plastic fruit. We've talked about plastic fruit in the course of this study series. We've talked about when they bring the dessert tray out. For your perusal, and all of it looks so real that you feel like, oh, I'll just take that right there, and that's the one I want. And they start to take it back to the kitchen. You say, no, 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 I want that one. And then they have to let you know this is fake. This is plastic. And it looks real, doesn't it? But it's plastic. And we, we, we'll take your order, and we'll go back to the kitchen and we'll tell them what you pointed out on the tray. But what we brought out to show you was plastic. And, and it, so it has no nourishment to it. There's no real power to it. But 
with the fruit of the Spirit, there is power. So we're not looking for, for some kind of a plastic gentleness, a put-on. We're looking for the real thing, where there's real, bona fide, genuine gentleness in your spirit. Do you know that's possible? You say, I don't know that that's possible with me because I've always been a hothead. It's possible with you. Guess what? All of us have been a hothead. Every one of us have a, a temper that we lose. And, you know, Temper is, a, is actually a good thing. It's when you lose it that it becomes a bad thing. Somebody said, oh, he's really got a temper. No, that's not the problem. The problem is he had a temper that he lost. Temperance is a good thing. A temper is a good thing. But, but we've all had tempers that we lose when we lose our temperance. And so the fruit of the Spirit is a, and we're going to talk about temperance at a later date, but it's a temperance that you don't lose. That your flesh isn't controlling, so your flesh doesn't lose it. Gentleness, that your flesh isn't controlling, so your flesh doesn't lose it. And so I'm talking about a real work of the Spirit of God. And the reason that more Christians don't and more Holy Ghost filled people don't exercise gentleness and temperance and love and joy and peace is that they are using fleshly manipulation of their emotions in order to demonstrate things that can only come from the Spirit. If you need coffee to be kind, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. There needs to be something growing inside of you that doesn't require coffee beans. And so that's what we're talking about. And, and, and again, we go back to where does the fruit of the Spirit grow and how does it grow? The fruit of the Spirit starts as a seed. Remember, it starts as a seed. What's the seed? Here's the seed. The Word of God is the seed. You know, it's, and when you read the Word of God, it's different than when you read another type of literature. Okay? You can read a self-help book that gives you pointers and gives you tips and gives you strategic ideas of how you can grow your business, of how you can manage your money, manage your time, of how you can have better relationships, and on and on, and all that's great. But that's not the Word of God. That, that is, a, that is a, a book that you can read, you can then apply its principles to your to your life and try really hard to make them work. And if they're solid, sound principles, they will work. But the Word of God is not just something that you apply. It has supernatural power in it. It is a seed. And your soul is fertile ground. Now we've talked about the sower that goes forth to sow and he sowed upon all the various types of ground and there was good ground, a shallow ground, a thorny ground, and the wayside ground. And so, so what we do is we want to make sure that we are good ground. Because that, that parable kind of leaves us in somewhat of a lurch, doesn't it? Because we're like, okay, well then which one am I? So, so does it matter if the seed comes forth? Because if I'm shallow ground, well, tough luck for me. If I'm thorny ground, then, then I guess it's too bad. If I'm wayside ground, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You can become good ground regardless of what kind of ground you are right now. Are you thorny ground? Clear out the thorns. Are you shallow ground? Break up the fallow ground. Are you wayside ground? Get off the wayside. Get back on the pathway of the Spirit. And so then when the seed comes forth, you have through prayer, through repentance, through coming to God with an open heart and an open mind and an open Bible, you have prepared your soul to be good ground. So when the seed comes forth, and how do we receive the seed? We receive the seed by reading it. We receive the seed by hearing it. We receive the seed by studying it. We receive the seed by memorizing it. We receive the seed by obeying it. And we receive the seed by actually teaching it. And so when the seed comes into our spirit, it finds good ground. 
when it comes in contact with that good ground, we expose it to the presence of the Lord. Prayer, praise, worship. See, we're not just trying to hype people up when we tell them to praise the Lord. When we tell people, come on, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's not hype. When we tell people, somebody give him a wave offering. Somebody tell him we love you, Jesus, and we praise you, Lord. Go ahead and lift up your voice. All of that. That's not hype. That's not just Pentecostal platitudes. This is, we are, we are trying to help people to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Why? That's where the seed breaks open and the fruit grows. The tree grows from the seed. And, and as you cultivate that through the sunlight of his presence and the rainfall of his word. The Bible says his word falls like the rain as the rain distills upon the ground. And so, so it, it causes them the seed to break open. The seed breaks open. It shoots forth as a tree. And that's where the growth of fruit occurs in the presence of the Lord. That's why the Bible says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. That's where the fullness of joy occurs, in his presence. So if you've gone a long time without being in the presence of the Lord, it's no wonder you're sad. It's no wonder that you're beat down. It's no wonder that you are are continually disturbed and depressed. And you can, listen, you can sit in this sanctuary and not be in his presence. You can sit between one person shouting and another person breaking through to the third heaven and you not be in his presence. If you didn't, if you did not touch the hem of his garment and step into the throne room of God, don't walk out of here and say, oh, we had a great service. Because maybe we, we all may not have had a great service. There might be several who did. But some who were spectators and not participators. And so it, it kept you from entering into the presence of the Lord. And so it's important to thank your way into his presence. Praise your way into his presence. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. And the same can be said of love. And the same can be said of peace. And the same can be said of goodness. And the same can be said of, of uh, gentleness. Amen. And so... This matter of gentleness is a very important, important matter. Something that grows inside of you. It makes you very gentle. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about what the Bible says concerning gentleness. Uh, one of the ways that we use it in a modern context is we might use the word gentleman. And by the, by the, by the usage of the word gentleman... We mean gentle man, a man who is gentle, a man who understands his responsibility to his family, to his wife, to his children, to society, to be gentle. That doesn't mean weak. That doesn't mean wimpy. It means gentle, kind, humble, surrendered to God compassionate toward others. Those are man qualities. Those are our child of God qualities. Those are qualities of a virtuous woman. Those are qualities of a person who is actively engaged in allowing the fruit of the Holy Ghost to grow inside of them. Now, Jesus was perhaps, Jesus, Jesus typified gentleness in a way that, that was just Amazing. I mean, he typified all the fruit of the Spirit in ways that you and I can't fully understand or comprehend. And so that's why to be like Jesus on earth, I long to be like him. And I've heard people, I've heard people refer to the fact that Jesus overthrew the tables in the temple. How many remember that little story in the Word of God? He walks into the temple and there is a, there is a, a uh, display of, of, in the temple of money changing where there is there is people are getting ripped off people are being are being uh, basically exploited in the temple of the lord as they came for their 
to make their sacrifices, the money changers were selling them sacrifices at the door. And, 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 and they were coming from all over the, all over the then known world. And so they're changing currencies. And it's, it, there's, a, there's a lot of profiteering going on as they entered the temple. And Jesus walked in and saw all that was going on. And, and in this one instant in his ministry, now he was not a, he was not a, 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 a man that looked forward to just, you know, throwing people around. I mean, he, the, the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. He had amazing power. He walked on the water. Legions of devils begged him not to torment them before his time. Jesus was not a weak man. He was not a wimp, but he was gentle. And so it was, it was very rare. This is the only time you see him just, just, folks, he came in, picked up the tables, and threw them. And started, took a whip and started whipping everybody. Like, like, you know, when we say, oh, yeah, he whooped them, we use that figuratively. He literally whooped them. He's not a weak man. He went after them. But it's, it was a rare occurrence. And even then, he was defending the weak. Even then, he was defending those that were being taken advantage of. And so, so the argument can be made, it was, it, was a, it, was his, it was his gentle nature that flared up even in that, in that setting where he, he took on those aggressors. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, I've heard people many times use that case in point to justify every temper tantrum they want to throw. Well, I, you know, I just told them like it was. I browbeat them. They probably never be back. Like that's some good thing. Because even Jesus overthrew the tables. Yeah, one time. There are those extreme moments. But but make sure, here's the thing. Even that has to be an operation of the spirit. When when the when the when the call comes for an aggressive act like Jesus displayed in that story. Even that needs to be an operation of the Spirit. That doesn't need to be your flesh. It needs to be in order. It needs to be ordered of the Lord. Not something that is ordered of your flesh. Because if you react every time your flesh flares up, you're going to hurt a lot of people and be held accountable for it one day. Don't think you won't. I know you think you just stomped on people, trampled on people, and... and and who knows where they are today? God knows where they are today. And you'll give account for the people that you wounded. You will. You will give account for the people that you wounded. So be careful what you do with your flesh. We are not people who walk after the flesh. We are people who walk after the Spirit. We are people who live in the Spirit. And the emotions that we demonstrate are emotions that are Spirit-led. Now, you say, well, my goodness, you're kind of setting the bar kind of high. Well, kind of, yeah. Jesus is the bar. And none of us can attain unto him. Our only hope of being like him is being in him and him making us like him. So, yes, we're all human. And the guy up here talking about all this gentleness is the first one that needs to keep his nose in the book and his face in the altar in order to let this grow in me. Because we have a human body that is a corruptible body. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This body is a body of death. And so every single day of my life, my body tends to dead things or fleshly things. And so just because I have the Holy Ghost doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to battle my flesh, and, and crucify it daily, 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 daily. Now, now, when you die daily, dying daily is a necessary component of the walk of God you have as a, as a believer. Dying daily. Crucifying the flesh daily. Not weekly. Not every Sunday morning. Not every Wednesday night. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now, you can do that in devotion. You can, you can, you can do that in devotion, and you absolutely should have devotion with God and where you, you're communing with God on a daily basis, and you have a scripture that leads and serves as the north star for your day, giving you daily bread. We've talked about that a lot. But, but let me tell you, you don't always die in your devotion. I'll tell you when, you when you actually die. You die somewhere in your day when your flesh has opportunity to react the way it wants to. That's when your flesh is supposed to die. See, a lot of people think they crucified the flesh in the devotion room, in the prayer room. Oh, God, we give you praise. Help us sanctify this day. Keep my mind right, and God will help you. God will give you all kind of grace. And then you move out into your day, and your boss says something that was just uncalled for. And you're like, oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Whoo, Jesus, help me, Holy Ghost. And you're trying to figure out what, because I thought I left this in the prayer room. And here I'm, I'm having to bite my tongue. I'm about to bite my tongue off. won't even be able to speak in tongues anymore because I've done bit it off. So what do I do? Well, that's the moment that you're crucified. See, Jesus wasn't crucified when he was wounded. He was wounded when he was wounded. He was still living. He'd just been wounded. When he was bruised, he hadn't yet been crucified. He was still breathing, heart still beating, flesh was still alive. He bruised, but he was still living. When he was chastised, when he was, when he was afflicted, when he was stricken, all of that, he was still very much alive. He was not fully crucified until he gave up the ghost. And the reason that many people are not fully crucified in their flesh is because they're hanging on to ghosts. The only ghost you need to hold on to is the... See? It's the only ghost you need to hold on to is the Holy Ghost. You gotta let go of the ghosts of your past. You gotta let go of the ghosts of unforgiveness. You gotta let go of the ghosts. It's, it's those ghosts that are keeping your flesh alive. And you're not dying daily. And so you're, so because you're not dying daily, the seed has not gone into your soul and died. That's what the seed does. It dies. When it dies, it breaks open. And then, and then the resurrection occurs. And as the resurrection occurs, that's where the fruit will develop in your spirit. Glory to God. And a lot of people don't want to be patient with that process. You've got to be patient with that process. You have got to be ingesting the seed, which is the word of God. You've got to let the presence of God break that seed open. You've got to let that seed burst forth as a mighty tree. You've got to let fruit grow from those branches you got to let that happen. That's the process that produces genuine gentleness. And a lot of times it's just like, ah, that's a lot of work. I mean, that's like a whole thing. I think I'll just try to be nice to people. And then you fail. And, 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 you, and, you're, and that's why we have a lot of mean Christians walking around. Not here. No, heavens no. I'm talking about other places. Good gracious. Not here. But we, but we will have a genuine gentleness of the Spirit of God when we allow this process to occur. So what is this gentleness and where does this gentleness come from? I want to turn your attention to Psalm 18 and we're going to read uh, just a few verses of Scripture here from Psalm 18. This is the psalm that David wrote after the Lord delivered him out of the hand of Saul. Out of the hand of Saul. And, and it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, we're not going to read all of it, but you ought to read all of it. It's a beautiful psalm. And, uh, and he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. He is my buckler. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And then he starts describing what he experienced while he was running from Saul. He said, the sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. 
in my distress, I called upon the Lord, cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. He goes on to continue to describe the way that the Lord came through for him, the way that the Lord fought for him. But I want to move down now to the, to the 30th verse. Well, we'll read verse 29 because you, you're familiar with this verse and maybe didn't know this where it was. Verse 29. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leapt over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet or deer feet and setteth me up upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up. And notice this, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Gentleness comes from God. God is gentle. Oh, I know. I know we can part the Red Sea. I know we can make the mountains skip like lambs and the hills like, like, like mountains like rams and the hills like little lambs. I understand that he thundereth with the voice of his excellency. I know that he hung the earth upon nothing and he stretched the north over the empty place. I know he has all power in heaven and in earth. And yet, he's gentle. This is why when Moses looked at the bush that was burning and not being consumed, that was, a, that was an image of the gentleness of God. Because our God is a consuming fire. He consumes what he sends his flame to. And yet Moses is looking at this phenomenon, a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. It's a consuming fire, and it's not being consumed. This is what made God so angry at David when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had Uriah placed strategically at the forefront at the hottest point of the battle and had him killed. This is why God was so angry with David. And if David had not repented so thoroughly in Psalm 51, he would have been personally judged vehemently by God. And it had changed the course of history. God would have placed his favor on somebody else. It was repentance that kept David from being judged by God vigorously and vehemently. The thing God hated about what David did, the adultery was bad, yes, and the murder was bad, yes. Obviously, those are bad things. But, but what God hated so much was how David abused his power. Nobody has more power than God. And God refuses to abuse his power. Look what he does with all of that power. Do you want to take them? I mean, do you want to spend the rest of your life here without leaving? We could just talk about the power of God until we all just vaporize. Because you can never stop speaking of the awesome power of God. Omnipotence, omniscience, omnibenevolence, omnipresence. There's no end. He is, he is the first and the last. There is no end to his power. And he, he took all of that power and used it to save my soul. Are you kidding me? Ah. I, I, we're here because God is gentle. Because God refused to use the power that he had at his disposal to just, to just completely eradicate us from the earth. God has amazing power. And David said, you have all this power. You're my rock. You're my shelter. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. And he said, but what made me great was your gentleness. It is the gentleness of God that makes that makes us great. And, and this is why Jesus came to his disciples and said, I'm giving you a new law. What law is that? The law that I'm giving you is that I'm, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. 
And you know what? It, it, the scripture says offenses will come. They're going to come. Woe be through whom they come, but they're going to come. And when they come, don't be offended. And that's, I mean, you hear that and you're like, ah. And we so easily say, that offends me. How many have ever said that? That offends me. Now, if you don't be honest, that's going to be offensive to me. you got to be honest. That offends me that you're, <laughs> we've said it a hundred times. That offends me. I'm offended by that. And Jesus said, don't be offended. Why? Why shouldn't I be offended? Because when I stop and he, and he the more that the Holy Ghost will work inside of you, the, the more God will speak to you and deal with you on this. He will stop you and make you consider how he treated you when you were in transgression. And it will alter the way you see others when they have transgressed against you. And you will, you will realize I have to treat them with the same gentleness that God has treated me. Has God been gentle with you? Has God been gentle with you? How many times could God have killed you and been perfectly legally justified? How many times could God have completely wiped us off the map? And who's going to call him in on the carpet? He could send a lightning bolt right now and, and tear this whole place up. And the media could come down and, 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 and throw a big fuss and say, well, why did God do that? He could send another lightning bolt and blow all them up. <laughs> Who's going to call him in on the carpet? He's God. He has all power. And he uses that power to practice gentleness. So, so, so that shows you what you have to do with what little bit of power you've got. Whether it's influential power, financial power, physical power. Don't abuse people with your power. Men, men, if you have, if you have physical strength, don't use it to beat up on a woman. That's never okay. Ever. Ever. Domestic abuse is a violation of God's law of love and kindness. Use that to protect your spouse, your children. Don't, don't beat up on those who are, who are less capable physically than you. Don't use your financial power to, to gain some kind of a hurtful uh, leverage upon a person where that, 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 that you are somehow taking advantage of them and exploiting them and their vulnerabilities. Don't do that. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Because when you stand before the Lord, when you stand before the Lord, you'll thank God that you didn't try to exploit people for your own gain. I'm not talking about, you, you, it's, it's okay to make money, but, but, but don't do it in a way that harms others and enriches you. Do it in a way that is of the Lord because the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. That's the difference between the blessing of the Lord and the blessing of man. The blessing of the man will make you rich in earthly terms, and with it comes a lot of sorrow, a lot of thorns and a lot of thistles. But the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and there's no sorrow involved. And so use the power that God has given you for the purposes of, of gentleness. Amen, gentleness. And so we're going to continue to, to look at this matter of gentleness. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read a very beautiful verse of scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive how many servants of the Lord we have here tonight that should be all of us and now Paul's talking to a young preacher named Timothy but we're all servants of the Lord the servant of the Lord must not strive striving is the verb form of strife strife is a work of the flesh so when we're striving, we are being fleshly. He said the servant of the Lord must not strive, 
the servant of the Lord must be gentle unto all men. Here it is. Apt to teach. Having an aptitude for teaching. Being ready to teach. Don't you know that whether you like it or not, you're always teaching? You're not like everybody else. In the sense that you've been brought out of darkness. There is a light on you whether you like it or not. You're, you're the light of the world. There's a light on you whether you like it or not. So what is it that that light is illuminating? What is it that you are showing? Everything you do is teaching. What we need to be teaching is what a son of God acts like. And what a son of God looks like. And what a son of God, how the son of God treats people. And how a child of God lives abundantly and victoriously. Our lives should be an example of the goodness and the glory of God. So the servant of the Lord must not strive. That's the way the world operates. The servant of the Lord must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. Here it is, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, we're not talking about meekness tonight, but we're getting ready to talk about it a little bit. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, I want you to stop here for a moment and, and listen to this. Those that oppose themselves. That's what we're doing when we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're reaching for those that oppose themselves. How many know a person in your life, a family member, a loved one, a, who, who their whole life is in opposition to themselves? And you're grieved over it. You look at their life and you're, you're like, they don't even know they're hurting themselves. They don't even know that they're making the problem worse. They don't realize they're the problem. So what do you do? Well, you just go grab them by the lapels and shake them real good. No, that's not what you do. He said in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So when we, when we give instruction, we do so in a humility. We do so in meekness. And we do so with gentleness and kindness and compassion. And, 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 and again, I'm not talking about the fake stuff. The fake stuff is, the fake stuff is, is not effective. The fake stuff is fake, and fake doesn't work. You, can't, you, you can take a big bite out of a plastic apple, but it won't keep the doctor away. As a matter of fact, you'll have to go directly to the doctor. Because it doesn't have any substantial, substantial uh, fortification of, of vitamins. But the real fruit has impact. When you show real meekness and real gentleness and real humility and real kindness and real compassion, you can be firm and gentle. You can be firm and meek. You can be firm and humble. Oh, praise God. You say, how is that possible? Because it's an act of the Spirit and not an act of the flesh. So, the servant of the Lord must not strive. The servant of the Lord must be gentle. That's what the servant of the Lord does. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to unveil some powerful principles to the church at Corinth in his second epistle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, now, verse 1. Well, let's, let's do verse 3, and then we're going to come back to verse 1. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, that's that corruptible body, we walk in the flesh, that's the corruptible body, we do not war after the flesh. So I may be in this fleshly body, but I don't use fleshly methods for my warfare. The warfare that I use is a spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
So this is spiritual warfare. Notice how Paul prefaces this, though, in verses 1 and 2. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you. He's getting ready to teach us about spiritual warfare. He's going to unlock mysteries surrounding how to win a spiritual battle. And here's why spiritual warfare is so important. Because 90, actually all, all the battles you're facing are spiritual. I almost said 90% are, and I, I, and I want to make sure that I'm clear. 100% of the battles you're facing are spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. He didn't say we wrestle not against flesh and blood 90% of the time. He said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places, against principalities, and against powers. And so, so that's where the warfare takes place. And so your spiritual warfare is to be conducted on a spiritual plane. Paul said, I beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence. Wherefore, I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. He came to them with meekness. He came to them with gentleness. And that's how you deliver spiritual truths. Now... Now, there is a spiritual undertone to every battle that occurs. And there is a place, and the Bible makes it clear, for law enforcement. The Bible says that the the law enforcer, that the law is for the manslayer. And so there there is a separation between Caesar, things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's. There is a separation between the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's. And there is a place in the scriptures for enforcement of law that does not necessarily manifest itself in the form of gentleness. God allows that authority and says that the minister of God, that's not talking about the preacher, that's talking about those powers that be are ordained of God. And let every soul be subject unto the higher power. That's Romans chapter 13. And it describes that the minister of God beareth not the sword in vain. So when there is a manslayer that is bent on slaying people, the law is for that manslayer. And so that's why the Bible gives power in the New Testament to the enforcer of law to not bear the sword in vain. But when we deal with a spiritual battle we deal with it in the context of the spirit once an individual for instance who is engaged in a spiritual struggle and they manifest this they manifest this spiritual struggle in a violent act and the law is then enforced they're detained and they're punished and they serve their time and while they're serving their time Ladies and gentlemen, that's when you deal with the spiritual aspect of what that individual has been dealing with. Yes, they need to be detained. Yes, they need to be arrested. Yes, certainly, they need to abide by the law. But, but where society misunderstands this matter is in the sense that we have a lot of people that are detained but not being rehabilitated. They're not being ministered to. I thank God for Brother Parnell and the prison ministry team, Sister Kim Heath, ministering to, to those who are delinquent at 2020, and she's ministering to them, and Brother Parnell and the team that God has put together to minister to those who are incarcerated. Let me tell you something. There can be a revival break out inside of a prison cell. They can come out of that prison they'll come out of the spiritual prison before they even come out of the natural prison and they'll have love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance you cannot legislate evil spirits you can't incarcerate evil spirits 
and expect the evil spiritual matter to be dealt with. Yes, yes, you've got to enforce the law, but that's, but that's when the church has to go into action and begin to deal with the spiritual elements of these things. Hallelujah. That's where we begin to go into the prisons and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And exalt the Lord and lift up His holy name and lead people to a place of repentance and baptism and the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost and the teaching of the Word of God and the sowing of seed. This is where the spiritual elements come into play. Don't underestimate the power of spiritual warfare. So, for instance, when when the book of Jude describes... A battle between the devil and Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. The book of Jude describes this. It's one chapter. It's a fascinating chapter. It's got this one little spot in in this book where the devil actually is disputing with Michael and he, the archangel, and he is he is demanding the body of Moses. And the Bible says that Michael the archangel durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Against the devil. Now, he wasn't being respectful of the devil. He was, he was fighting a superior war than what the devil was fighting. The devil was coming in, stomping his feet, shouting, angry. And Michael the archangel would not stoop to his level. This is what he said. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And I'm done. That's all he said. I don't have to say anything else. The Lord rebuke you. I don't have to fight this battle. You can stomp, kick, cuss, fuss, get crazy. The Lord rebuke you. We fight a superior battle when we, when we fight with a spiritual weapon. There's a, here's a great spiritual weapon that I want, to, I want to share with you. Here it is. Ready? A soft answer turneth away wrath. Now I want you to hear, because one of, the, one, of the, one of the scariest words in the Bible is the word wrath. Especially the wrath of God. But the Bible even talks about the wrath of Satan. And there is wrath. Every person can have wrath inside of it. It's a work of the flesh. Wrath is a work of the flesh. And wrath can look mean. Wrath can sound mean. Wrath can sound like the worst thing you've ever encountered. You enter into the sphere of somebody's wrath and, 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 and it's, it's a terrible feeling. But the Bible said a soft answer turneth away wrath. Don't fight every fight that comes your way. Fight the good fight. Don't fight the trivial fights, the ridiculous fights, the unnecessary fights, the fights that don't matter. Leave that to the wicked and the carnal. You fight the good fight. And when you get done with it all, you'll be able to say, I have fought a good fight. A soft answer turneth away wrath. There are three ways that this works, and I'm going, to, I'm going to explain them to you as we close here in a moment. A soft answer turneth away wrath. When somebody comes at you with wrath, it takes two to tango. You just let the Lord deal with them and give them the soft, gentle meekness of a Christian. Here's another way that it turns away wrath. When you've got wrath building up inside of you, and it started down here, and, and one straw was added to another straw, 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 until finally there was a straw that broke the camel's back. And you're ready to explode, and there's wrath. If you will give a soft answer, that soft answer will turn away the wrath, not only of those coming against you, it'll turn away the wrath that is welling up inside of you. And here's another thing, another way that a soft answer turns away wrath. When you speak to God in the Spirit, this is how God speaks in the Spirit. God speaks in the Spirit like this, a still, small voice. 
And when God speaks with a still small voice to you, his soft answer to you will turn away your wrath. It will. Now God spoke to Elijah in the cave. And he said, Elijah, I want to show you, I want to show you some things. Elijah was full of all kinds of human emotion. Jezebel was going to kill him. That's a bad day. Jezebel's going to kill him. She's got armies out looking for him. There's a warrant out for his arrest. And Elijah is tucked away in this cave. He's terrified. He's scared. He's mad. He's actually mad. He said, God, I'm the only one left who's holy and who worships you. And God said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, I've got 7,000 you don't even know about who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I've got 7,000 that this is the only mention of them in the word of God. When I just said them, 7,000 that did not bow their knee to Baal. They didn't show up in First or Second Kings. They're just, they're just out there. And I know where they are and I know who they are. And Elijah's dealing with all this anger and with all of this fear. And the Bible says that a whirlwind came, but the Lord was not in the whirlwind. And an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And a fire came, and the Lord was not in the fire. All three of those manifestations God had appeared in or spoken through in times past. He spoke from a whirlwind to Job. He spoke from fire to Moses. He spoke from an earthquake when he revealed that Korah was at fault and Moses was the man of God. He had spoken through an earthquake, a whirlwind, and fire. So he was showing Elijah, I can speak through very drastic, dramatic means and measures when necessary. But this is how I prefer to speak. And Elijah heard a still, small voice. A still, small voice. That's the way the, that's the, way the voice of God actually speaks. When you are spiritual, he doesn't have to thunder. When you are spiritual, he doesn't have to scream to get your attention. He doesn't have to send an earthquake to get your attention when you're spiritual. When you're spiritual, he can speak to you so soft and so still and so small that if you're not spiritual, you'll miss it. It's a still, small voice, and it is the soft answer that turns away wrath. I remember hearing, I've heard it, every time I hear that voice, Brother John, it puts, it puts my wrath in place, it puts my fear in place, it puts my, it puts my unforgiveness in place, it puts everything in its place, it shoves things out of my spirit and out of my mind, I've heard him, uh, he said some things to me that if anybody else would say it, it would offend me. But God says it with a stillness and a smallness and a softness of voice. I don't know how to explain it. One particular time that he spoke to me in this way was shortly after we moved to Cincinnati. And, and you may not know this, but when we first came to Cincinnati, it took us three and a half years to sell our home in uh, Indiana. And I was so discouraged and disheartened during that period that I, 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 I just, I said, God, I, I mean, seriously, I don't know what to do. <laughs> And there was a family that had been displaced by a hurricane in Florida that needed a place to live. The insurance company gave them $14,000 for their house that was completely wiped off its foundation. They had $14,000 for a house that obviously was worth way more. And, and, and they, they ended up declaring bankruptcy. The fam, it was a family of five. And, and so they, they were coming back to Kokomo, Indiana, with nothing. Our house was for sale, but it was sitting empty. We ended up letting them live in our home, and they paid what they could. They couldn't pay everything that, they, that we would need them to, but they paid what they could and, and lived in our house. And I remember thinking, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, I need to get this house back on the market. And, 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 and a year went by, and a year and a half went by. And, and during that period, I remember praying to the Lord. And this is what I was just, I was just delivering all of my concerns and all of my complaints and saying, God, I need you to move. I need you to move. I need you to sell this house. I need you to, 
And the Lord spoke to me in the still, small softness of his voice. And this is what he said. He said, is it all right with you if I love them too? Would that be okay with you? Would it be all right with you? Do, do I have your permission to use you to provide for them? Can you trust me that I will take care of you when this is over? I love you, but will you let me love them through you? And it so humbled me. It so put me in my place. My lack of trust in God. And it was shortly after that they, that they, they found a home to live in uh, permanently. And God provided for them. And it was shortly after that our house sold. And I realized the reason our house didn't sell was because God was making a way for these who had come out of this terrible situation. And it's, we just don't know the ways of God. There's no sense in getting all worked up emotionally. Just be gentle and meek and humble. And when you're having trouble being gentle, meek, and humble, call upon the Lord and let the soft answer of God drive away the wrath and plant gentleness in you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Being gentle doesn't mean you're weak. Being gentle means that the Spirit of God is moving in your life. Some of the strongest things you'll ever do in life and for God, you will do with great gentleness. Hallelujah. Some of the, some of the strongest efforts you will, you will make in life will be how the Spirit restrains you. And let the Lord be gentle through you in Jesus' name. I wonder if we could just ask God right now in this place to let gentleness grow in us. To let gentleness grow in us. I'm not talking about trying to be gentle. You've done that. That failed. Just let gentleness grow in me, God. Hallelujah. Let gentleness grow in my spirit. Let, let gentleness grow in my deeds and my behavior, my actions in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 It's going to improve your relationships with your spouse. It's going to improve your relationships with your parents and your children. It's going to improve your relationships at work. It's going to, it's going to let your light so shine before men that they would glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's stand to our feet right now and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ all across this building. Let's give Him praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's pray to him right now and say, Lord, do a work in me. 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 In the name of Jesus. If you have, if you have right now, hear me. If you're having trouble with anger, I want you just to let the Lord put gentleness inside of you right now. If you're having trouble with anger, I want us just to take a moment and let the Spirit of the Lord do a work in us. It's going to be God's Spirit that does the work. If you're having trouble with losing your temper, I want you to let the Spirit of the Lord bring gentleness into your spirit right now. If you're having trouble, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't an anger problem or a temper problem. Maybe, maybe it's just an emotional problem where your emotions are all over the place, be it fear or feelings of abandonment, and it's all over the place. God's gentle spirit can come down into your life. Hallelujah. And plant seeds of gentleness in you. Thank God that you won't even know where it's coming from. Well, you will, but, but it'll so amaze you, the miracle that God will do inside of your spirit. He will calm your soul. Hallelujah. He will calm your soul. Oh, blessed be His holy name. Come on, let's do it right now. Let's lift up our voices unto the Lord and ask Him to do the work in our life. Come on, He'll put gentleness in your home. He'll put gentleness in your home. He'll put gentleness in your relationships. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, let me be gentle with my family. Let me be gentle. Let me be gentle with my wife. Let me be gentle with my children. Let me be gentle at work. Let me be gentle at school. Let me be gentle, Lord. Let me be gentle, not by my works, not by my efforts, but let it be a genuine move of the Spirit of God inside of me that, that manifests itself outwardly in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to live the way He wants me.
I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just Let's sing it again. Let's sing it again. Hallelujah. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no Love. 